2: download the free anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started so what are you waiting for podcast stardom is within your reach
0: i'm leo phillips host of this must be the gig we're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
2: Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith With. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org consequence of sound and the consequence podcast network uh, wherever you're listening from hit the subscribe button right now so you can keep up with these interviews and all of the great guests we have every single week i'm kyle meredith and speaking of great guests i have three of them today gonna be talking with Meryl garbus of tune yards joshua ostrander of mondo cosmo and naomi hamilton of jealous of the birds In fact, I want to start with uh, Toon Yards. They've got that brand new record, I Can Feel You Creep Into My Private Life. Listen, it's a fun record. You just listen to it, it's a really fun record. But it is a heavy record. And uh, Meryl Garbus and I are going to talk about the topics of race, representation, and white privilege that make up the songs throughout it. We also get into her being bi-coastal and how that gives her an insight about environmental causes. There's lots going on in this interview, and I always love talking with Meryl. It's Kyle Meredith. With two yards. Hi, Meryl, how are you?
3: I'm just fine. How are you?
2: I'm well. It's good to talk to you again. Play quiet. Well, let's get into the uh, the new record that we've been such huge fans of, I Can Feel You Creep Into My Private Life. It's an uncomfortable title just from a journalistic point of view to even bring up, and I understand there's a much bigger issues here, uh, a petty thing that I say. Because I always feel like that's exactly what we're doing as a, as any kind of interview.
3: I mean, but but one that I'm acquiescing to, no. <laughs> I mean that we're we're making a deal. You you promote the fact that I'm a musician making music and that we're playing a show or whatever, selling a record, and and you and you know ask about my private life.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the deal. There is much more important things happening on this record. Uh, I know you've been talking about a lot: race representation. Privilege. When did the themes of this start to take root for you that you understood that this was going to be in in, in a very important direction? That's a good question. I mean, I guess, uh,
3: I mean, it's hard. It's hard to answer because you know how important. Is my opinion in you know at a time we we made this record before the election during the election after the election so you know all of the two New Year's albums are always the the world as filtered through me <laughs> and and that's just of course the world that I am privy to so you know I never know I never I still don't know I still you know these shows that we're playing on this record are feel very different the the people at the shows feel different. The experience playing the music feels really different. So, you know, it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know other than to say that they were you know, living here in Oakland as a white person and as a white woman. There was stuff that was starting, I, I guess that I had scratched deep enough down that um, I was finally scratching <laughs> some some really uncomfortable stuff for myself and it was time for me to dig in even more even more than we have in previous albums because i think you know the first the first two years album is talking about race and whiteness and all the two years albums deal with cultural appropriation and uh, a lot of questions so it's stuff that i've been exploring for a while now
2: i know you hope to to start conversations right i i I think a lot of artists hope to, to start conversations when they're writing about subjects like this Now that it is out, you know. Now that these shows, as you say, they they feel different. The people, you know, feel different. Are they spurring the conversations? Are people coming up to you, or is it leading on to those to those conversations that you might hope to have with your fans, with listeners?
3: You know, that's a really good question, and I think I think I'm still asking myself. You know, where do those conversations happen? I will say that I loved. We did a Reddit Ask Me Anything, and that was that was one of the only times that I really felt like. I had the opportunity to to hear what what fans were really reflecting back about the record. But, you know, when you play a show and you're at this, you know, it's very clear that it's not not everyone is having the same experience. and, And, you know, I know for me, I listened to music way before lyrics. So you know, for years and years and years, I'll listen to a record and really love it and enjoy it, and only a decade later, while I go, "Oh my gosh, I had no idea that's what that song was about." So I have to, I have to recognize that people internalize, take in music so differently. So it may be that people have read interviews and and are listening closely to the lyrics. And you know, I know some people for sure have uh, reflected that they're grateful that someone's making music about these subjects about about whiteness, about white privilege. And also, you know, I I think I also need to recognize that I'm even saying that feels too narrow. You know, it's not not a record about white privilege. It's a record about a lot of things, including white privilege. so that's where music i think has its most has its power is that it doesn't mean one thing and it's supposed to kind of live in all of us and keep growing and keep you know touching on on different parts of our lives and resonating in different ways
2: and with that, and you might have already answered this next question then you know when you write something like this and and for whatever hopes that you might have to who it would connect to i don't know if there is um i'll get businessy here and say a target audience uh you know is this something that you would hope to speak to you know me I, i'm a white male or or you know is it an ally record or do you have a sense of of who you'd like it to connect to most
3: no i mean i would love i would love it to connect to you <laughs> to you white man <laughs> <laughs> and it does um, and and others yeah i mean that that's been something really notable about the shows is that it's just a wild assortment of people there i mean every generation that could possibly make it out of the house to a show seems to be there <laughs> it is diverse although i will say you know it's, it's very clear to me that the majority of our audience is white and i think for that reason in no way to exclude you know this music being for people of color but it's it's also really clear that i have this opportunity to talk to white fans who might need to talk about whiteness and might, might, might need to explore whiteness more. And, um, you know, I think something about, about being white is wanting to get it right and wanting to not say the wrong thing. And um, that that's, that's part of culturally that, that we're trying to not make waves and would prefer that things, that we do it right the first time. And that's not the way that, that talking about race works. It's it's a big, confusing blob of horror show, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like you got to talk about pain that's happened to other people without knowing what's happened to other people. You need to talk about your own pain, which is hard to give voice to compared to, you know, other people's pain. And I don't think we have the language for it yet, and I think we're I, – I would like to be part of starting to, to – Form language around it and use language that's being created now. But no, I really I mean I you know, I think something that I've really been noticing and learning about this country is is, is actually a lyric that's in one of the songs, um, Honesty, which says, uh, this river runs so deep. I, I feel like, you know, nothing oh, the world that I long for where where we can be fluent about race and about where we all come from and we can step away from violence and and state violence and that world is not going to be easy to come by because where we come from has these very very deep roots in systematic oppression and systemic racism and you know that's it's just in the bedrock of how this country was formed so with that you know i i think i i understand that this album is is kind of It's part of many different trickles and rivers and um, people doing really good and important work, but over really long amounts of time. So, you know, I have no uh, romantic expectations, but I do I do really appreciate that. You know, I've walked down the street in Oakland one day and I heard someone blasting our song Real Thing from his car. And it was he was a white dude and he he was like kind of pounding on the steering wheel and like singing at the top of his lungs. And I was thinking, like, how cool is that to have, you know, to me, what I interpreted was that, you know, I had provided some we provided some music and some words that someone really needed to hear and sing along to. And, um, you know, that's that's got to be enough for me, for sure.
2: I know this uh, sort of trickles down to even, even the live show. You know, when I compared it, the last one uh, with Nicki Knack coming through, everything was brights, everything was bubblegum, you know. It was a lot of fun. Uh, this sort of, at least in the press stuff, uh, really takes a drastic turn on that. It goes the other way. Is that a visual, a visualization of what we're hearing as well?
3: I, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it felt really, I mean, it was definitely intentional that our colors got muted and you know there's i i think nate and i kind of we went back and forth a lot on you know but this we didn't want to present a gloomy record but it also felt dishonest to continue the two years tradition of (laughs) of super neon and bright and um you know the music is always celebratory i think to a certain extent we love you know i love to dance i love dancing with others i love creating music that people want to dance to so that's there but but I think, you know, for me in making the record, I, I wanted to give myself the opportunity to slow down and really feel feel some truths, <laughs> not paint over with with you know, rosy colors. You know, everything's bad, but it's okay. <laughs> I wanted to really sink into finally feeling some grief, you know, particularly around climate change and, and what we have now really done to the planet and and really let that sink in. You know, really asking myself as a white person not to paint over or gloss over the real reality of racial violence in our community. So that really felt like you know we still wanted there's plenty of, of bright colors and, and and we really we looked toward you know earth colors like real colors, mm-hmm. not not manufactured colors, but um, but yeah, visually we wanted to create something that felt human and tangible and. And of the
2: now. You brought up climate change, and I, I don't want to brush past that either because um, you have the luxury of, of being bicoastal. You, know, you, you, you grew up on the East Coast, you've been living on the West Coast for a long time, which seems to me it, at some point in a lot of conversations politically, they use that against people just because you live on a coast somehow makes you separated from humanity mm-hmm. uh, I'm not really sure where that comes from um, I know you have a lot of connections here to the Midwest and Kentucky too do you feel like it gives you a different mm-hmm. perspective uh, especially specifically when it comes to climate change
3: that's a question around climate change I mean I mean I think a lot about it because living on a coast and having family on another coast you know that's a relatively modern situation and it means flying which means burning fossil fuel you know I think about my my fossil fuel carbon footprint a lot I do think that there, yeah, I do. I mean, I think that this, um, the the coastal elites, this idea. I have to say, I, I, I you know, I, I understand where it comes from, and I, and I, um, how do I put this? I'm so grateful to have like not only family connections in the Midwest, Kentucky, Florida, but also the experience of touring, where it's so clear the different communities that were that we're going into. And, um, you know, this last tour that we did where we went through Louisville, that, you know, that a lot of people, someone said to me like, oh, I I noticed you're touring the Red States. Was that on purpose? And I thought, what? (laughs) I hadn't at all thought about it that way. But of course, it's a total gift to be able to to be in front of so much of this country, especially now where you know I, there's just so much disconnect, and there's real danger, I think, of having Google <laughs> specify enough for us what we're what we want to search for. You know, it's very rare that we hear opinions different than our own, other than kind of vitriol uh, spewed by people that we know we do not agree with. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, it's a gift. You know, it's a gift. I feel like I it's a gift that I come from parents who are from really different experiences and it's a gift that we get to do this for a living and get not only to see this country but also the world you know we're about to go to to europe and have been to europe and and it's always so illuminating to to see what's going on there and what the parallels are to what's going on here and um it feels like we have this opportunity to be ambassadors of sorts you know or or maybe the better way to put it is spies (laughs) information getters you know we can kind of go like well yeah that's an interesting perspective kind of reminds me of you know what they're talking about in germany right now or or you know i heard my friend from turkey talk about that there's there's um so much information and therefore wisdom that we we get to be privy to
2: i'm always so impressed how it comes out in the music and uh you know wrap it up into into the this album again with i can feel you creeping in my private life it's been such i i want to say it's, it's a really fun listen to it with everything that's going on it's a really fun record you know right. we're talking about heavy things here but i love putting it on and 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 just letting it play too so compliments in that direction as great. well
3: great i appreciate it and yes that's the thing that doesn't get <laughs> doesn't get talked about quite as much because because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. And thanks so much for for playing
2: it. No problem, Meryl. It was great talking to you again. Uh, we'll see you well, the next time you swing by here.
3: Awesome.
2: Sounds great. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. All right. My thanks to Meryl Garbus of Two Yards. Again, the latest record, I Can Feel You Creep Into My Private Life. Now we're going to get to interview number two for the day, Joshua Ostrander. You know him as Mondo Cosmo. They just released a uh, sort of a surprise EP on us this year. It's called Your Motherfucker. Yeah, we're going to get into that title. He says it's meant with love, and you'll find out why here in just a few moments. He's also going to talk about working with uh, Butch Vig of Garbage Fame and then the Music Modernization Act. He went to Congress and testified and then maybe sort of tried to steal a spoon from the Kennedy Room. It's a good story, and it's all in here. Kyle Meredith with Mondo Cosmo.
4: Hey, Kyle. It's Mondo Cosmo. How you doing, man? I've been good. Uh, just been busy, busy. We just finished the Vance Joy tour, and now I'm home. Just uh, I'm just writing, man. Every day, it's been great.
2: I'll kind of use that as the intro here because surprise, surprise, there's new music from Mondo Cosmo with uh, your motherfucker EP. And it's a lot of fun, and the songs are so good.
4: Oh, God, thanks, man. That means a lot. Yeah, it was like we just got to the point where it's like, I just want to put music out, so let's do this. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, and then the idea to call it your motherfucker has been equally awesome and just (laughs) a huge pain in the butt.
2: (laughs) You know, I'll get to that. I I love
4: this song, and I love the idea of it. You know, it's just like a love song, and it just happens to say that word 40 times in it.
2: You, you know what? I've got the question. It's a love song, right? I actually have that written here because you listen oh, to it, and you're like, "This is yeah. sweet." I mean,
4: yeah, if you if you like dig into the lyrics, you're like, "It's actually just like it's like it's just the idea of being somebody's everything." You know what I mean? And I was just like, "I." The song just came to me. I was on a run, and I just I had the the first two lines. I was watching this documentary on Elvis, that Showtime did, which was really good. And I was like, oh, man, like just the idea of being everything to somebody and to be somebody's motherfucker, to have somebody. If somebody were to tell me I'm your motherfucker, I just think that would be such a cool thing. So <laughs> it just I, and I just I did it real quick. Didn't think about it sent, it. sent it to like my manager. I was like, I like this. He's like, yeah. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, well, what can we do with this? I'm like, I don't know, man, but I love it. So we're going to put it out.
2: Yeah, it sort of reminded me, uh, do you remember Battle Flag from uh, Propeller Heads?
4: Yeah, totally. It's also got that, like, primal screen bass line that I love. Uh-huh. It's got almost, like, I don't know, there's so many elements in that, too, where I'm just like, I don't know what this is. I just love it. And I I still, like, I go on my run, and I'll just, like, it'll be in my mix, like my running mix. And I just, like, it gets me going, man. I just love it. You, you I'm don't so you, glad you like it. Cause yeah, I didn't you, know. you don't mind my listening mom, to
2: yourself when you're running. No, I don't.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm my biggest critique, you know, so I'm always just like I, I'll, I'll I I I put my time in with like my lyrics and stuff to make sure, you know what I mean, like and also I want to see what it sounds like with other music, you know. It's like there's so much great music coming out and I want to see how it holds up, mm-hmm. you know.
2: Well, you know, while we're on the uh, the subject of the, of the songs, uh I want to jump back to to a, another song on the EP because Hey Steven is a beautiful song. But you know, there's a bit of a chuckle there because you do say something about a an English accent. <laughs>
4: yeah, and then I try to sing the English accent. I don't know how that goes over, but I don't I always had this idea. I'm like, what if you I had that line for forever, wanted to put that in. Like in my finest English accent, I will beg you not to leave. Um but to sing it in an English accent I just thought would be hilarious. And yeah. I love that tune, too. I'm glad you like it, Carl. Thanks, man.
2: Yeah, no problem. Well, it made me go back and think. It's like, wait a second. Has he always had an English accent? Because it was a nice, like, sleight of <laughs> hand right there, I guess. That was a, that was a nice trick.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, cool. You picked up on that. That's great. Yeah. I love that.
2: What is such a strong little EP? But, I, you know, I kinda, like, when did you have time to write these? Because you've been nonstop since everything started, you know, uh. Well, a year and a half ago, I guess it's probably around these. I mean, were these were these road songs? Were these written while you were out there on tour? No, not at all. Uh, hey,
4: Steven, we had like up our sleeve for a little bit. That one we did have, but honestly, uh, these tunes were just done really, really quickly. I went in with uh, this producer named John Hill, who did uh, like feel it still. He's one of my favorite producers. He used to do like old Santa Gold records and stuff. I'm just a huge fan of him. And we went in, and we did, like, four days of just, like, writing and making music, and that's how Tonight tonight came from. It was just a two-minute, we wanted to write, like, a Violent femme song, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we wrote this, like, two-minute song, and we were just like, all right, next, you know, I'm moving on. And then I, I recorded sold on my iPad <laughs> on a flight. <laughs> I swear to God. I, I, and I just I just loved it. I was just like, this is beautiful. I like the lyrics, like, some of my favorite lyrics on that song, and... I don't know. I just had, like, these four tunes. I was just like, oh, let's get them out. Because I want to, you got to, I'm learning that. Like, nowadays, artists have to keep putting music out to stay relevant, you know, because there's just so much going on. And I like that. Like, I like, you know, as much as I want to go in, and I will, I'm going in to do, like, a full-length record. Like, the idea of just, like, constantly getting music out is exciting, man. And it's, like, a great time to be writing music. And it's an important time to be writing music, I think.
2: You know, as a fan, I, I, I'm completely enjoying this. I mean, t- just to get these nice surprises. And, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's it's more than just even a single because, you know, to have something this realized, I mean, you have such a gift for melody. It, it sort of blows my oh, mind, you. you know, because, I don't know, something, something flipped. And, of course, you know, the first time that we did the official interview with Mondo Cosmo, concept and everything, um, you know, I, that was sort of like such... A more real—I don't know if that's right because I was such a big fan of your your previous band, which we've talked about before with uh, ECC and everything. Yeah. But but ECC, there's yeah. yeah, there's something completely different with what happened when you became Mondo Cosmo. You know, your style of writing just went to uh, another planet, another atmosphere. And I I don't know if you can attribute that to anything or if it just you know that was your growth or or what you know. But it's sort of like. You know, like when Father John Misty, when you got Josh Tillman, you know he he had been doing his his acoustic stuff for years too, and then one day he takes some drugs and walks out of the desert, and suddenly he's you know a gifted songwriter <laughs> beyond anything he's ever done. And I'm like, what did you do? What did you do that day? You know that turns into this now that you can just toss off two minutes, you know, or plus into a song like tonight and tonight, and it's one of the catchiest songs of the years.
4: Oh, that's awesome, man! Thank you for that. Yeah, I um, I think my drug was working landscape for two years. <laughs> you know? It was um, I I think it was just I that to me and whenever I work with anybody, I'm just like I don't care what's going on in the song. All I care about is the vocal melody because that's just the music I listen to. That's what I I get off on. You know what I mean? So I don't I don't. That's just like. When I go into a song, I'm only going to put out stuff that I think melodically really resonates, and I, I just that's that means so much that you said that because I really really work on that, and that means a lot.
2: How much, um, or if any, how how much does having a band now have an impact on, on the way you write? It's that is a great question
4: because like I want we just did last year we did ten months straight we did like 150 shows the that was our first, like, our first 10 months of being a band, you know what I mean? So, And it became like, as much as the recordings are one thing, the live show became another thing too. And it was like, wow, like suddenly we're playing in front of 90,000 people in Quebec, opening up for Muse. And you're like, holy moly, like it's go time. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, we can either just go up there and do okay and get through this or we can just go up there and attack it and just punch everybody in the face and just own the moment that we have. And honestly, man, like this rock and roll band is a true band. And it's just like, we really, every show, whether there's eight people or 90,000 people, like we put on a show and it's like to go in with that mindset of writing songs. It's like, yes, like, like I have, it's an important, it's an important thing to like address be like, all right, like, I want to put on a show, like, what's, like, song first, but also, like, how can we deliver this in a way that's going to, like, just make somebody's Friday night, you know what I mean?
2: I love the results of that. I, I, you know, I heard you talking about, you mentioned, um, you know, you're just writing and and already looking towards the future. There's a picture, though, you posted online, and you're, I think you're sitting with Butch Vig, and does he have anything to do with your future? (laughs) Because that's fucking cool. Butch,
4: all I could say is that Butch and I are very much talking a lot.
2: Talking and, a
4: lot. Um, he's become like such an awesome. He'll just email me. You know, it like we we just talk about songs and it's like man. And so like I try not to like geek out too much because like I mean, sign me a stream, bro. You know what I mean? Like Nevermore. Right. Like like this dude is just like an institution into how like every band when they go in with Butch Vig makes their best record. You know what I mean? That in my opinion, and I'm very aware that Butch Vig, when that email shows up it's like, dang dude, okay, here we go. You're officially running with the big boys. Do not mess this up, dude. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I would, I would just say I would, I would be very
2: excited. I'd be very excited. You know, I mean, I've spent a lot of this year. You know, it's Garbage's 20th anniversary of version 2.0, and so it's sort of how I started yeah. even my year. It's just, like, diving into that. And, yeah, I mean, I, everything he touches. I agree. It's just, uh, just amazing. Yeah. Well, I don't he know, man.
4: And he's just, like, he's just the most down-to-earth dude, like, you wouldn't know it when you're sitting there, just like talking about music, and like you turn your head and you're like, "Oh crap! There's a bunch of Grammys over there." You know what I mean, it's like, "Oh wow!" Like well, it's an impressive, impressive
2: thing. Yeah, you're both Midwestern guys too. I mean, you, you kind of forget but- Butch Vig is from what uh, Wisconsin, right, or Milwaukee, yeah. or something like yeah, Milwaukee. Like, yeah, like
4: it's all it's all like Green Bay paraphernalia when you go in there <laughs> with the football. So we had we had a lot to overcome. <laughs> so I'm an Eagles fan, but we got through it. <laughs> um
2: let me let me ask you about something else. The Music Modernization Act. You have become um sort of a, a spokesperson a little bit for that as well?
4: Oh yeah, Kyle. This was funny because the Grammys called and they were like, Hey, we want you to go talk to Congress about this this new legislation that would help artists, you know, royalty rates and stuff like that, which are just like really bad. They're really like really bad. And I was like, nah, I don't think I should do that.
1: <laughs>
4: I'm like, I'm pretty sure I didn't graduate high school, and I'm pretty sure there's way smarter people to do this. And that's what we told them. We're like, no, probably so honored, but no, if we should not. There's got to be somebody better. And they immediately called back, and they're like, yeah, you're going. And we're like, okay. So... Dude, I swear to God, I sent me and my dummy manager to Washington, D.C. We stayed at the hotel across the street from the White House. It was just nuts. And then, like, suddenly the next morning, that night, my manager and I go out and just get, like, like senator drunk. You know what I mean? Like, we went out. Because we're just like, when is what is happening? And we just went out. We had such a night. And we didn't even think, like, we just kept going because we were so excited. And then before you know it, it's like six in the morning and somebody's banging on the door. Like, we have to go to this meeting, you know, like, with suits on and meet. And then, like, at noon, we went to Congress and I had to speak to, like, members of Congress. And then we went to the Capitol and and had to talk to senators. And, kind of, like, it was just the craziest, craziest thing. And I'm sitting there and... The whole time I'm just like I am not. I, what am I doing here? And as I'm like telling them my story of being like, actually like I I was doing. I've been doing this for fifteen years. You know what I mean? And like I was always working another job and like always like working two jobs. You know, just to be able to like. And I, and I told them I'm like, and it became a hobby, and it broke my heart because it shouldn't have been a hobby. It should be something like that people can support themselves and do. And like I'm like, if you don't change these laws that you're you're missing out on future Springsteens and future Dylan's, like, because it's just, it's so hard for music, for people to get by doing music, and it's just not right. And as I'm telling them this story, I was like, wow, maybe I was the right person to send here, you know? And it was just, I'll never forget it.
2: I mean, you're you're such a great speaker, and... and I, I always feel you're always coming from the heart when you do it, so I can completely see where they're coming from on that one. What an amazing moment to be a part of. I mean, has there been any movement uh, since since you've went up there and talked?
4: Oh, yeah, like uh, ten days later, they passed it unanimously, like four hundred and thirteen to zero. Wow, So there's just one more step that has to go through, and then you know, Taylor Swift's gonna get a lot more money.
2: <laughs> well, that's exactly what all this was about. That's exactly <laughs> that's why, why I went. It's not so much future Dylans and Springsteens. It's present Taylors. That's uh <laughs> <laughs> But seriously, how awesome is yeah. that? And and I don't want to brush over, by the way, that, you know, one of the coolest, most important moments, maybe, uh, maybe uh, of your career. And, and you went all punk rock and just got totally tore up the night before. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I mean were you hung over? Yeah.
4: Oh, my God. Like we had to go get like Pedialyte. It was like one <laughs> of those mornings. <laughs> we're like walking in CVS. Him and I both have our suits on, and we're just like, "Oh my God, what did we do? What did we do?" And I mean, by the grace of something, like we got through it, and we did really good. So it was, uh, it was funny. Oh, but when we were there, we had lunch in the Kennedy Room, and it was just like, "Oh my gosh!" And Kyle, there was this little they had this little spoon, like it was all like china and stuff. You know, it was like a really proper lunch, and they had this little spoon for I guess it was like sugar I don't know what it was for and all I could think about the whole time is like how bad I wanted to steal this spoon (laughs) so that for the rest of my life I could like put my sugar in my coffee in the morning and be like that was from the Kennedy room you know what I mean I'm texting my wife I'm like babe I really think I need to steal this spoon and she's like for the love of God please don't (laughs) because it's like secret service you know it's like it could have it could have been got nothing, or it could have been the most Yeah <laughs> swarm, swarm. Oh yeah. So, so I didn't steal it, but I uh, uh, wish I did. Yeah, but some, of...
2: some somewhere that spoon's still there, just thinking about you as well. Thinking about that <laughs> <laughs> I had a new home. Uh, Dude, that's, that's so great. cool. I, I, I know this, you know, last year and a half or so has been so exciting. It's been so for you, it's been so exciting for, for us to watch and kind of, you know, vicariously live through it uh, as well and you know, to have these caliber of songs with, uh, I'll point out again, the Your Motherfucker EP, which is fun that I can say in the interviews, uh, not so much on the air, but. Uh <laughs> you know, right here, it's completely. Yeah, fine. I don't
4: know. Everybody, I'm getting so many messages like, "Are they? Can they play it?" I'm like, "No, they can't play it on the radio." We're working on a radio edit. It's actually pretty good. I'm hoping maybe something will come from that. But yeah, it's. Uh, we really made a decision with that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: I love the single as well. But uh, you know, I'll take all four of them, and I can't wait until the uh, the next uh, group comes around in whatever state EP album whatever. Uh, I can't wait, man. Awesome, thank you, Carl. You're the
4: best, man. Always appreciate the support you guys have given us. It's awesome.
2: All the time, anytime, anytime. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you again. We will see you around, man. Awesome. Thank you, Carl. All right. Take care. Bye. It, bye. I always love talking with uh, Joshua Mondo Cosmo. The new EP is called Your Motherfucker. And part three of our interview series today. Naomi Hamilton goes under the band name Jealous of the Birds with a new EP called The Moths of What I Once Will Eat Me in My Sleep. It's a great title, one of my favorites of the year. And we're going to talk about Naomi's uh, gift of wordplay and her background in poetry, uh, what it was like growing up as a teenager, how South by Southwest it sort of had a huge impact on her career. Uh, we'll talk about a little 2017 collaboration she had and what is planned for the next release. It's Kyle Meredith with Jealous of the Birds.
1: Hi, it's Naomi from Jealous of the Birds. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you?
2: I'm well. Good to talk to you. Oh, same to you. Let's start out with this new EP. The moths of what I want will eat me in my sleep, which is a whole lot of fun to say, and as confusing <clears throat> as it is fun to. Should should I ask about this? Is is the, is this worth asking about that that title?
1: Hey, uh, yeah, sure. Like the title is pretty much like the last piece of the puzzle. Um, it's it's taken from a poem that I wrote, the last line of a poem that I wrote after I graduated last year. So I just kind of lifted it from that, and it seemed to work like especially since the EP is kind of like a it's almost like a bite-sized version of the album mm-hmm. so we took all the the best songs from that and put it in so for me it kind of like it kind of summarizes what's been going on for the past like 2 years with the whole Jealous of the Birds thing so that title felt felt right for that yeah
2: now now the way you've done that as you just mentioned you know taking some you know some of the songs and re-recording them for the EP is that because uh of signing to Atlantic Records like a reintroduction type of a deal
1: yeah, it's just because uh, most of my music is like uh, more known back home, like in Belfast and Northern Ireland and UK and kind of stuff like that. So yeah, signing with Atlantic was definitely one of those things where you're kind of going to be introduced to a whole different audience. But also just because when we released Parma Violets, the album, that was back in 2016 and I got a live band together and we just like started playing the songs. So when you play live gigs, the vibe of the songs kind of changed and we wanted to kind of... Bring that the elements that we um, brought to the table in the live shows to the actual live recordings, so it's just kind of touching up stuff that that had kind of changed over the the two years. Yeah,
2: I, I get a feeling like most artists would do that if they actually had the time and and you know space <laughs> yeah
1: yeah.
2: And- <laughs> You know, it was
1: good. It was good because we just uh, like when we recorded *Palm Violets*. It was just me and uh, my producer, just kind of going for it. But I don't think we really knew that it was going to be anything. And now for this, for the EP, we got the guys from the band in, and it was just like a, a different experience, but really good. So
2: now, you, you know, we are still, of course, over here in the states, getting uh, getting acquainted with you and everything. I mean, uh, th- there was some great buzz on that debut record, but. But it is opening you up to a bigger audience. And as we learn about you, one thing I was surprised to read, and I wanted to see if this was true, that you really only been a songwriter for a few years. Is is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I only started writing probably like early 2015, and wow. the first show I ever played was in like I think March 2015, and then the the record Parma Violet came out the following year. So, but I, I've written like poetry and stuff since I was like. 12 or 13 and I I played guitar since then as well but I just played like other people's songs that I liked. Mm-hmm. I never really I saw writing poetry and write, writing songs as two very like distinct things and then it was only when I like started um university that I like just decided like why not write my own songs. So yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, how big of a jump has that been for you then? I mean now now that you've seen both sides, does it seem is the area grayer in between?
1: I think so. I think because like if i i, I don't think i could be just like a like a poet or a writer because i love music too much so having writing songs is just like the perfect little combination of the the literary side of me but also the side that's just like a really big music head and like really loves music so i feel like i can try my best to write songs in a way that's like poems set to music or strive to anyway so
2: and I mean, you've got such a unique gift of wordplay. You know, we hear oh, that. You. Yeah, <laughs> no, right from the beginning that, that you kind of hear that. You know, and and now knowing that you come from you know a poetry background, that that completely makes sense. Was was there? I don't. Was there a point where you found out that you had a knack for this? It, was there a turning point in your youth?
1: Probably just like from being back in school. Like I, I was really. I don't even think I could express how bad at maths I am. <laughs> but I was always really good at English, like writing stories and using my imagination in that way. So, yeah, I think it was just something that I've, I've always been drawn to reading and writing and narratives and stories and, like, the psychology of, of people and their relationships and stuff. So I feel like that was just a gradual progression from, from then until now, yeah.
2: I, I hear some of that in these songs, and I think I've heard you talk about the broad strokes of it, too, that, you know, th- there's instances on this EP, you talk about the sociology uh, of how we see ourselves through other people's eyes. Uh, is is mm-hmm. that the right way to say it?
1: I think so. Yeah. I think because I um I'm really fascinated by the idea of like how other people's perceptions shape your own perceptions of yourself or um or don't just depending on, you know, the scenario, but um yeah, just how we filter that and filter each other's egos and and, and lives. Yeah, really mm-hmm. fascinating to me.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's it's the difference of of how the person you would become if you were left alone to your own devices versus going out in the world and someone kind of projecting that onto you and suddenly i guess that's the your the reaction to that eventually becomes the person that or is the person that you become
1: i think about that a lot like even just like um what environments you're in i i I studied like psychology um in high school uh so i'm like really interested in like like nature versus nurture like the people around you the places you go the experiences you have and how that all just filters through i think that's even more magnified for me in terms of like being an artist or a creative person and how that filters through into what you put back out in the world. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people have like artists are really conscious of not like mining the world for material for songs like not turning like cannibalizing their own lives to put into music so I'm just kind of interested in how to get that balance
2: well, you're what now, uh, early 20s? I'm 22, 22. yeah. 22. That, that was the other thing is because seeing when these songs were, were written and, and recorded, you know, you would have re- been right at the end of your teens right there. And I thought, you have an interesting awareness to being a teenager. And I had to think back, so I'm 36 now, but I, I was thinking back, like, when I was a teenager, I, I was just completely blank and unaware of of, of <laughs> who I was at the time. Like, even dumb and and was only able to put it together, you know, years after, in, in sort of hindsight. But you seem to have this awareness of the existence of that moments, and I think that's com- that's really that's really unique for any writer.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, well, yeah, I think it's just something that I I don't really think about. I just kind of I just try to do it or try to be at least kind of present and aware of what's going on.
2: <laughs> the only new song on here, uh, "Plastic Skeletons," which uh, we're in love with around here, playing it a, a ton. Oh. Yeah, uh, cool. Uh, this was written after your first trip to America?
1: Yeah. Um, we went to South by Southwest in, I think it was 2016. And it was just like me doing a little, like a few solo shows around there, nothing too crazy. It was more just to kind of introduce me to that, because I'd never been to America and I'd never been to Southwest, like South by Southwest. No idea what to expect. So I kind of just kept a journal the whole time, because I was like, I'm going to capture every little moment that happens. <laughs> and... uh yeah, so when I got back, I kind of went through the journal and, and picked little images or memories that I had from it and just wrote that song, yeah.
2: And yeah, Now, now, how close was the actual experience to, to whatever you might have imagined? Because South by Southwest, by the way, is just the craziest musical environment any artist could be dropped into. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I feel like that was the point. Like, we went over there to be like, this is how... Why? Like, this is the wildest and weirdest and just, like, everything in one hub that you can experience. So, like, just go experience that and then you can have a little bit of context of, like, what you want to be around, if you get me. So, uh-huh. yeah, I feel like Austin, the more, because I've been there twice, we went again to South By the next year um, with a full band. And I feel like it's one of those cities where I would love to go back when South By isn't on so I can just kind of compare <laughs> Because I know it, the whole city changes and, like, locals, like, deliberately go out of the city just to be chilling. But, no, I really loved it. Like, Austin's, Austin's great. Yeah. Um, and the more I come back here, I've done a couple trips to L.A. and a couple to New York. But there's so much in between. So, like, yeah, I'd love to explore more of it, yeah.
2: There's a lot of land. There's a whole lot of land. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about the writing a lot, I, I don't want to pass over the music because it, what you're doing is just as good on that side of things too. And oh, thank you. plastic skeletons there are there are several styles existing in, in such a short song like what was the what's the what's the flip side of the story here? What's the musical creation of that song?
1: Um, I think when I sat down with that one, I was like, I'm gonna make this really like bass line orientated, so I really wanted like a strong like cause in the verses, you've got that kind of punchy uh, funky bass. So I think that's where I started and then just built it around that. It's got like a kind of, I think it's got like a kind of psych, like, yeah, psychedelic vibe um, to some of the guitar parts, but mostly just something that was really thrashy and loud is what I was going for.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because the the parts are so different in some spaces, but they don't clash. Like, it works really well, how it kind of blends together. Oh, thank you. And then these songs, I mean, they're like as we're saying, you know, the other songs are a couple years old now. And with this one... You know where the new ones pick up. What's the, what's the album plan
1: from here? Ooh, well, we've got an EP that's going to be out in November, hopefully, um, and a new single in September. So I think stylistically, it's more of a because Parma Violets was very like the contrast, were very strong between songs. Like you had more of a kind of heavier indie song versus like. A very mellow song like Miss Misanthrope or Tonight I Feel Like Kafka, and now I feel like I'm writing stuff that feels really like blending of the two and not so like contrasted, very organic, but yeah. still yeah, still still me.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I can't wait to hear it. Uh, there was kind of one spare track that I wanted to ask about too because last year Love as a Crow came out. What, what's the story with that one? Oh yeah, what's
1: yeah, that, that was uh, a collaboration I did with a guy called Ryan Veal, who's this um, he's a great artist. He kind of does like electronica mixed with classical like compositional stuff he plays piano and mixes it with like edm and electronic music so we he kind of just got in touch and was like do you want to write a song and i was like cool let's do it so uh he lives he lives up in Derry in northern ireland and i'm from armagh so we just kind of would like like throw ideas back and forth through emails and, like, sending little um, little memos to each other and then building on the song. And then I went up to his studio in Derry and just kind of mixed it there and, like, got it done. So, yeah, it was really fun. I, I mostly just did the lyrics and and some of the guitars and stuff like that, but no, he was, he was really good to work with. And I really, I dig the fact that I got to sneak in a little bit of spoken word <laughs> into that song.
2: <laughs> you know, for some artists, it's, it's kind of hard to, uh, to co-write because, you know, you're giving up whatever vision and control. To, it, it sounds like you, that's not you though. Like this, this is more of a kind of a fun thing. Could, could you see yourself doing that more often?
1: Yeah. I feel like I haven't had a lot of experience in, in co-writing. I think it was really good and like refreshing to try it out with Ryan because, our styles are so different. He does more, like, electronic music and I'm kind of more folk indie kind of stuff. So I think that, like, contrast, just how we were so different kind of helped out because it just became this hybrid, weird song.
2: Yeah, it, it's a cool one. I, I mean, if there's a chance for you guys to do more of that in the future, I would definitely love to hear it. But, uh oh, sweet. yeah, I know that, uh, of course, gets in the way of everything else. And in the meantime, I'm becoming <laughs> such a fan of Jealous of the Birds that I can't wait for another EP. Uh, that's uh, that's awesome to hear oh. that there's another one in the, in the works already. Thanks so much. Yeah, and Naomi, it was great talking to you. And uh, once you get to you. middle America, we'll see you around here.
1: Yeah, yeah, hopefully.
2: Sweet. Thanks so much. (laughs) All right. Take care. Okay.
1: Take care. Bye.
2: Bye. Big old thanks to Naomi Hamilton of Jealous of the Birds, the latest EP, The Moths of What I Want Will Eat Me in My Sleep. And thanks to my other guests as well, Toon Yards and Mondo Cosmo. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit subscribe right now so you can keep up with all of these interviews. Whether you're listening on YouTube or the podcast version at uh, iTunes or Podchaser, subscribe, uh, give a rating, leave a review. If you can as well, then you can head over to WFPK.org. That's where you hear me do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.